I mean, I've had plenty of school reports that said, tried hard but could do better. Bet you've had those too. But if you ever, can you think of something in your life where you've done something and you said, you know what? I, I couldn't do better than that. That is just the best that I could do. It's hard to think sometimes, isn't it? Like that. Can you think of something? Put your hand up if you can think of something that comes to mind that that is absolutely the best. You could do it a thousand more times, but it wouldn't get any better than the way you did it. No one? One? Two? A few. Henry Kissinger, in his book The White House Years, tells of a Harvard professor who had given an assignment. And when he collected them back in, he wrote at the bottom of one of them, Is this the best that you can do? And the student thought, actually, no, it's not. So he redid the paper and he put it back in. And it came back to him with the same comment, is this the best that you can do? And he thought, actually, probably not, I could do a little bit better. So he did it again and he sent it back in and again it came back, is this the best that you can do? Ten times the paper came back to him with those same comments, is this the best that you can do? Finally, he wrote on the bottom, yes, and he put it back in. And the professor said, now, nah, good, now I'm going to read it. <laughs> We've been called to excellence. God wants us to be people of excellence. And we said at our uh, last United Service, that we believe that that's in four particular areas. There's more, but these are the areas that God's asking us to focus on. Excellence in our attitude. And we've been looking at that as we've looked through together at the Beatitudes. Where God says, blessed, I'm going to pour my blessing into you and through you if you have these kind of attitudes. God is calling us to be people of excellence in our attitude. But also, we believe God is calling us to be a people of excellence in diversity. Excellence in making disciples. And excellence in our worship. We've been looking together at excellence in attitude. And I want us to focus for the next couple of weeks about how we might become excellent in diversity. And we need to remember that excellence does not equal perfection. Perfection is when you kind of just look at something and, and it, it kind of all engrosses you and you have to keep working at it and working at it and working at it and becomes like obsessive because it has to be absolutely perfect. And you obsess over this and everything else gets thrown away. God's saying don't be like that, but do go for excellence in the diversity in which I have created you. Now, how do we do that? How do we become excellent in our diversity here at the church? We're a diverse place. We look around and there's 30, 40 different nationalities represented here. There's people of all ages in this church. All kind of backgrounds. and We are a diverse people that God has called together and brought together as a family together. 
So how do we become excellent in that diversity? Let's pray. Lord, as we look at diversity over the next few weeks, again, Lord, we ask that you would teach us How do we become excellent in our diversity? What does that mean? What does that look like, Lord? Teach us. As we read your word over the next few weeks, teach us what it means to be a place, a family of God, part of the kingdom of God, that others can see that we have an excellence in our diversity. Show us what that means. Teach us from your word as we open it today. For we ask this in the name of Christ. Amen. The first thing, and in a nutshell, what we're talking about today, is the first step about being excellent in diversity, is to be yourself. I could sit down right now, we could sing our life song and close the service, that would be it. We'll all go for an early lunch. If all you're going to take away today is this, be yourself. Let me show you some pictures. Can we have the first picture up? Who's this? Oh, who's that? Obama. Now, which one is the real Obama? And which one isn't? Okay, who thinks those on the left is the real Obama? Who thinks those on the right? Who thinks both of them? Okay, let's try the next one. Who's that? Schwarzenegger. Which one is the real Arnold Schwarzenegger? Right. right, who thinks the left? Who thinks the right? Hmm, who doesn't know? <laughs> who's saying, who's Arnold Schwarzenegger? <laughs> okay, let's try the next one. Who's that? Aniston. Jennifer Aniston. Who, which one's the real one? One on the right? Yeah. Mm. Let's try the next one. Who's that? Matt Damon, real one? Yeah. The other guy. Anyway, let's not go there. Okay, let's try the next one. Who's that? Kate Middleton. Which is the real Kate Middleton? Okay, let's try the next one. Apparently the Daily Mail in 2012 did a whole series of politicians and animals that they look like. Wasn't my idea. All these people try to be someone else. You can rent them if you like. You can go to them and they'll come along and pretend to be someone else at your party. If you can't get the real person to come along, get someone who looks like them. Be the pretender. And there's people who make a living out of that. 
Be yourself. Be who God created you to be. Turn with me in your Bibles to 1 Samuel 17. You'll know this story. Story of David and Goliath. You know it? There's the people of Israel going out with Saul leading them to fight the Philistines. And the Philistines have this big brute of a guy called Goliath who's like 120 foot tall. Looks like the Terminator himself. And he comes out and he stands there and he says, well there's no point us all fighting one another, you pick your best guy, you come and fight me. And then whoever wins, wins, whoever loses, loses, and then only one of us is going to die. So it's going to be okay. And all the people of Israel are there and they're going like, I'm not fighting him. That guy's massive. Don't be ridiculous. I'm going up against him. And they all start in terror. And then basically what happens is David's there and he, he gets, his dad says, go and take some uh, cheese and other stuff up to feed your brothers who are in the army. So he goes troopsing up to the front line and he finds his brother and he goes, what's going on here? And this guy Goliath comes out and starts throwing obscenities at the people of Israel every day and he's going, and David says, well why doesn't somebody go and shut him up? And they go, we're not going to shut him up, have you seen the size of the guy? You, you know, and they're, they're all looking at each other and they all run away terrified every time Goliath comes up. And David, as you know in the story, says, I'll do it. And he goes, well, there's no one else. And Saul gets to hear about it, and Saul says, well, there's no one else that's going to go. So David goes out, kills Goliath, and they all live happily ever after. End of story. That's the praise. But I want us to look just for a few moments about the real difference between Saul and David. The first thing, if you've got your Bibles, turn to 1 Samuel 17. The first thing we notice, it says in verse 2, that Saul and the Israelites assembled and camped at the valley of Elah and drew up their battle line to meet the Philistines. Saul was the commander of the army. It's Saul and the Israelites. He's the leader. He's the commander-in-chief. He's the one. What's David? Well, look down at verse 14. We're going to skip backwards and forwards. It says, David was the youngest, the oldest, the three oldest followed Saul. But David went back and forth from Saul to tend his father's sheep at Bethlehem. So you get Saul, who's a commander in charge of everybody. You get David, who's a shepherd boy. What's the difference? Well, Saul has influence. Saul has authority. Saul is the one that can say to anybody, hey, go do this, and they'll go and do it, because he's the leader. Who does let David lead? A group of sheep that don't even listen to him. You ever been out trying to get sheep in? Crazy animals. They don't listen. You say, sheep, come over here. They take no notice. It's not true. You know, babe... I tried that bar ram you business. It doesn't work with sheep, right? Unless you, you know, maybe you have to be a pig to say, I don't know. But they don't take any notice. Here's David, and all he does is spend all his days out in the fields talking with sheep. No one else around. He's there, he's there, responsible to look after the sheep. No real authority over anybody. No influence over anybody. And yet you've got Saul, who's the commander, the leader, the king. 
who has ultimate power and authority over the whole people of Israel. One end of the spectrum to the other end of the spectrum. Then look down again in verse 8. It says, Goliath stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel, Why do you come out and line up for battle? Am I not a Philistine? Are you not servants of Saul? Choose a man and have him come down to me. Look at verse 33. Saul replied, You are not going to be able to go out against this Philistine and fight him. You're only a boy. And he's been fighting man from his youth. You get Saul and all his merry guys who are real men. David, who's only a boy. You know when you've got children, when you're grown up, the hardest thing to do is to let them do something on their own. You notice that? If you've seen a child trying to struggle with something, what, what your immediate reaction is to go, let me do it. stand aside, I'm coming through. You know, and you go and do it for them because it makes you feel good that you can do something they can't do. We all do that, don't we? It's, it's, you know, it's like at home where your wife gives you the jam jar, you know, because the lid's stuck solid. She super glued it, you know? And you're there, and, you know. But you can't, you can't admit if you're a guy that you can't open it. You know, it's grease on my hands, I've got to wash my hands, you know. Secretly you go and get the nutcrackers out of the drawer at the same time, you know. You want to be able to do something. And here you've got Saul, man full of stature, and you've got David, just a boy. And he's coming up there to the front and he's just a little boy. He's just a messenger boy that brings the cheese to his older brothers. That's who he is. And you see the difference in stature? Everybody will look up to Saul. He's the king. You look up to him. He's awesome. He's amazing. He's our leader. But you look down on the cheese-carrying shepherd boy. He's just a boy. What can he do? Then look on a little bit further on. Verse 11. Goliath comes out, starts shouting. Let's go from verse 10. Then the Philistine said, This day I defy the ranks of Israel. Give me a man and let us fight each other. On hearing the Philistine's words, Saul and all the Israelites were dismayed and terrified. But look down in verse 32. Saul replied, this is talking to David. Sorry, in verse 32. David said to Saul, let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine. Your servant will go and fight him. And Saul replied, you're not able to go out and fight the Philistine and fight him. You're only a boy and he's been fighting man from his youth. But David said to Saul, your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. When a lion or a bear came and carried off a sheep of the flock, I went after it and struck it and rescued it from his mouth. Then carry on down a little bit more. Verse 36, this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them because he has defied the armies of the living God. The, the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. You've got Saul and his armies who are terrified and dismayed. And what do you have in David? You have a boy that is full of confidence. If you look down in verse 48, it says that when he goes out and he meets him, what does he do? 
dances around and thinks, well, I'm a little boy, I can just sort of skip around, he's a big heavy guy. Perhaps I can use my, my agility to my advantage. No, it says he goes and he runs straight towards him. He said, come on in. He didn't even stand in there saying, come on in, come over here. He's going, right, I'm going to go to you. You know, you're going to take ages, you're a big guy. You move slowly. So let me not waste any more time, I'm just going to run straight towards you. You've got with Saul and his army, a people that are terrified and discouraged and dismayed. And in David, you've got a guy that is full of confidence. Their hearts are completely different. Saul's heart is full of fear. What are we going to do? This is making me look bad. Here I am a leader, and as leader I should be the one that goes out and faces him, but I'm just going to get my head knocked off. So I'm not going to do that. And I go, I'm looking around and I'm looking and saying, where's, where's, all my best, where's all my best soldiers? And they're all looking as frightened as I am. And yet you've got David, this cheese boy, come shepherd, who's full of confidence, going, I'll take him on. I'll beat him and I'll do it and we won't waste any time, let's not mess about, I'm just going to go running straight over to him. Because I've got other things to do, I've got sheep to look after. Let's get this over and done with, out the way and then I can get back to life. Such confidence because they had completely different hearts. You've got Saul with his heart that is terrified and fearful. You've got David with a heart that is full of confidence. Now why? Why the difference? Well, because you've got Saul who's looking in a worldly kind of way and David who's looking in a godly kind of way. Saul looks and he says, there's nothing we can do because he looks around him and he says, we can't beat this guy. It's impossible. Saul's vision, his worldview, is fixed on a horizontal plane. He's looking around him and he's saying to the people of Israel, we haven't got anybody that can take this guy on and win. It's just going to be impossible. And David looks godly. His worldview is fixed on Yahweh. And he says, I don't care that we haven't, doesn't, size doesn't matter, ability doesn't matter, what matters is who our confidence is in. And our confidence is in the Almighty. And so David looks up to heaven. Look at what David says in verse 26. He says, Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? See what he's saying? He's saying, look, we're not the army of Israel. We are not Saul's army. We are the armies of the living God. That is who we are representing. That is who we are fighting for. And that is why we will have the victory. And David's heart was completely, his, his view on life, his perspective in the same situation was completely different. Because he had his focus on really what was going on, that we are here representing God. We're not here to represent the people of Israel. We're not here for the kingdom. We're not here even for Saul. We're here representing the living God. And that makes all the difference. Their heart was so different. And their worldview, the way they looked and judged the situation around them, was different too. 
And then look down in verse 31. In verse 31 you see Saul the leader. What David says when he tells his, the other people there, he goes, why, why don't we go out and fight him? We're, we're the army of the living God, somebody should go and fight this guy. We're going to win. And what happens is, in verse 31, what David said was overheard and reported to Saul. And Saul sent for him. Why? Because Saul is the leader. And look what it says in verse 34. But David said to Saul, your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. You've got a leader at one end of the spectrum, in his position, and you've got a servant at the other end. Saul is the one in the leadership role. He is the one that is exalted and high in position. David, he's just a servant. He's just a, down there, not up there. He's not the one that's going to get on the front of Time magazine. David's just the kind of guy you'd pass in the street and never think anything of. Different in position. And then also the bit I love. Look at this in verse 38. When Saul, because he's run out of options, agrees that David can go and fight. Saul says, go and the Lord be with you. And then verse 38. Then Saul dressed David in his own tunic. Put a coat of armour on him and a bronze helmet on his head. David fastened his sword over the tunic and tried walking around because he was not used to them. I can't go in these, he said to Saul, because I'm not used to them. So he took them off. Then David took his staff in his hand, chose five smooth stones from the stream, put them in a pouch of his shepherd's bag, and with his sling in his hand approached the Philistine. Saul was a gifted swordsman. He had all the armour, he had all the equipment, he had everything he needed. But David, David was just the guy with the slingshot and the staff. They had difference in their knowledge, in their abilities. They had differences in their approach and their skills. Saul, he'd been taught by the best how to use a sword, how to use all the modern techniques of fighting in those days. What did David know? He just knew that a cheap little slingshot and a couple of stones, that's all he had. And a stick, that's all he had as a shepherd boy. And so that's all he could practice with. He never had a sword. He never had armour on. He didn't know what to do with it when he had it. He had a completely different set of skills. A completely different knowledge base. A completely different approach. Do you see how different Saul is to David in the same situation? Two guys facing the same thing, but radically different. But turn in your Bibles to Psalm 139. Melina spoke of it in the prayers. Psalm 139. I'm not going to read the whole psalm, but let's just look from verse 13 to 16. God says, this is a psalm where God is saying to us, He said, for you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful, I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. 
Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. Now this is true for both Saul and for David. Both of them were created by God, verse 13. Both of them have been knitted together just as we are in our mother's womb. But right there at the very start of our lives, God was there in that process, making it happen. The miracle of birth. The miracle of us growing in sight. That God looks in and sees us even there. is part of that process of creating human life. But Saul and David were both created by that same God. Knit together. He made them. He's made you and me. And also verse 14. We are both fearfully and wonderfully made. Fearfully means that we have respect and reverence. Because God has created us. And therefore God looks at us and sees us as his handiwork. And we're wonderfully made which means we're distinct and we're unique. There's no other one like you. You might look like Matt Damon, right? But you're not going to be Matt Damon. You might look like me, but you're not going to be me. God made you unique, wonderfully made. And therefore you have a reverence and a respect that is due to you because of who you are. Because God is in that process. There is God within you, just as there is God in me. Part, we are made in the image of God. Male and female, he says in Genesis. We're made. And then not only are we made by God and have the handprint of God on us, but also it says in verse 16, all our days are ordained. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. That God has a plan for you and for me as well. That he's written it down. He sees outside of time. He knows everything. And he has this plan for you and a plan for me. Our plans are always different. Saul's plan was different to David's plan. And within that we have choices that we can make. We still have that free will. Whether we're going to choose his plan or choose our own. But God has a plan and he's written it all down. This is what I created you to be. This is how I want you to be. This is what I want you to do. Saul and David were created by God in exactly the same way. So what makes the difference? What makes the difference between someone who's terrified and runs away and someone who follows the plan that God has for them? We'll look back in 1 Samuel. Let's just go back there again for a few moments. Just pick out just a few things that makes the difference. Look at verse 26. David asked the, man, the men standing near him, What will be done for a man who kills this Philistine and removes his disgrace from Israel? Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? 
You know the difference that David had? We've already spoken a little bit about it. He knows. He knew who God was. He had a relationship with the Almighty. Now Saul had a kind of a relationship. He acknowledged Yahweh. And when David was going to be sent out, Saul says, down in, um, in verse 37, Go and the Lord be with you. So he said, like, the Lord bless you in all your endeavours, because it's going to be good if, if you can beat this guy. I don't know what we're going to do if you can't. But he didn't know God in the same way that David did. David had a relationship with the Almighty God. He knew God intimately. And so there was a difference in that kind of relationship that they had together. David knew God and therefore knew who to trust. He had confidence in God. So he knew when he went out to faith Goliath that it wasn't him, it wasn't in his strength, but it was with that confidence and that strength that was going to come from Almighty God. Because he knew he was walking in the pathway that God had set for him. He was on that journey. It was part of the pages that were written in the book. In the chapter before this one, we see Samuel anointing David with oil. He's already been anointed to be the future king. And so he knew with the confidence that this is the pathway that God is going to take me on. This is where he wants me to end up. Don't know how he's going to get me there. But this is, this is part of my journey. And therefore he can go with that knowledge and that confidence that he's not going to die when he meets Goliath because he's part of the journey which, which God is taking him on. Saul had none of that because he didn't have that kind of relationship with God. And the first thing about being ourselves is that we need to know who God is. The closer you are to God, the closer your relationship with Jesus Christ, the better you'll know yourself. And the more able you will be to be yourself. That's the first thing. David had a close relationship with Almighty God. So he knew, his language spoke all about it. He knew that when he was going there, he was walking where God wanted him to walk. Why? Because it had been built up. Look at verse 34 to 37. But David said to Saul, your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. When a lion or a bear came and carried off the sheep from the flock, I went after it, struck it and rescued the sheep from its mouth. When it turned on me, I seized it by its hair, struck it and killed it. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them because he has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hands of this Philistine. So Saul said to David, go and the Lord be with you. He didn't just know who God is, but he knew who he is in God. It had come from a journey with God. He knew that when he had been out there facing that lion or facing that bear or facing adversity before, that God had come through for him. That he had been there in those kind of situations and throughout his life, every situation that he had been in, he would sought the Lord and the Lord had come and rescued him, had helped him. So he's looking at the Philistine going, 
well Goliath's big, I know that, but so are these lions, so are these bears. And I know that when I went out and I wrestled this lion or I attacked this bear because it was stealing our sheep, that God helped me in those situations. God protected me in those situations. God gave me the strength in those situations. So I know that he's going to do the same right now. And so David had this whole history of a relationship building up with God beforehand. It's not just head knowledge, it was knowledge that was born out of experience. And so he knew that he could trust the living God, because he knew who he was in God. He knew that God had protected him, that God had seen him through all these times before. And so this was just another one of those occasions where God would show his power, God would show his presence in that situation. It's not enough just to know who God is. You need to know who you are in Him, in God. And that's what David knew. That's what separated him from Saul. Saul knew God, but he didn't know who he was in God. So why did God's Spirit taken away from Saul? Because Saul started to say, well thanks very much for this position God, now I can handle it on my own. I don't need you. I'm just going to do this myself. I've got all the power and authority. Thank you very much. Because he didn't recognize who he was in God. That God had placed him there for a purpose. That God wanted to use him there in that position. David knew. And that made all the difference. He knew who he was in God. He had all that experience from the journey. And that gives you freedom. Freedom to be yourself. Look at what happens next. As I've read it before, verse 38 and 39. Saul puts all his equipment on him. Can you imagine what it would be like to have like... It would be like getting the crown jewels out, wouldn't it? Placing them on your head. And you go, fancy walking around Tesco's like this. Awesome. You know? It would be like... And here he is, he's already anointed by Samuel, kind of in private, to be king. And here he is wearing all the king stuff. He must have been going, whoa, I look pretty cool in this. This is, this is shiny. This is awesome. But he doesn't do that. He knows his gifts. He knows his abilities. But more than that, he knows who he is. And he, he knows who he's not. It wasn't him. He didn't try to be someone he wasn't. He didn't go out there in all this armour and everything else. He knew that he was a shepherd boy. He said, that's what I am. I'm a cheese carrying shepherd boy. That's me. And that's cool. So I'm going to go and face Goliath as a shepherd boy. Not as a king. Not as a soldier. I'm going to go and face him with who I am. He had that freedom that comes from knowing who you are. And that brings that inner peace. He didn't have to pretend he was something else. He didn't have to look any different. Can you imagine all the armies standing there and this little boy is going out to meet this humongous guy. Your whole future rests on him. You know, you would have thought at least he could have put a bit of armour on. At least he could have gone with a, like a, a 25 foot spear or something to keep this guy away from him. At least, what is he doing? 
He goes down to the river, picks up a couple of little stones. That's really going to help. It's like taking a little pea shooter out. You know, and like, it's not going to work, is it? And he's going out there with his staff and a little slingshot on five stones. Against a trained warrior who's humongous. Can you imagine what all the other... I mean, that's enough to make you terrified. Right? The other army must have been going like... I mean, the Israelites and all his brothers were going like, Oh my goodness, this is embarrassing. Seriously embarrassing. He doesn't even look like a soldier. And this is the best that we've got? This is just... My goodness. But David didn't try to be someone else. He said, this is who God created. And this is who I am. And that's one of the key things. How many times have you wished you were someone else? Oh, I wish I could sing like Ronnie or Janine. Oh, I wish I could preach like someone. You know, (laughs) I wish I could... Oh, I wish I had hair on the top of my head, then I'd look so much better. You know? Oh, I wish I could lose this stomach a little bit and eating chocolate wouldn't put it back on. I wish, I wish, I wish God created you. He knit you together. He wants you to be who you are. You don't have to try and be. In fact, you mustn't try and be someone else. Be yourself. Because being yourself brings that inner peace inside. David wasn't frightened when he went to meet Goliath. Everybody else was. But he wasn't. Because he was just himself. And it was no different than going to meet a lion or a bear or a wolf or anybody else or anything else on the hillside when no one else was watching he said this is me this is who I am and then the fourth thing is that he used the gifts and abilities that God had given him he was rubbish with a sword he was pretty awesome with a slingshot so he took a slingshot he was good with those stones and so as he ran towards him he whipped it and threw it killed the guy straight off And then he picked up the sword, cut the guy's head off after he killed him. He used the gifts and abilities that God had given to him. He didn't try and suddenly say, well, let me try these other ones. Now's a good time to try sword fighting. Then let me see how good I am at that. No, he said, these are the talents that God has given me. This is the pathway that God has led me on. Let me use those gifts and abilities in these situations other people have other gifts and abilities that's cool these are the ones that God has given to me and he used them and lastly as we read in the story he allowed God to use him verse 45 David said to the Philistine you come against me with sword and spear and javelin But I come against you in the name of the Lord, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will hand over to me, will hand you over to me, and I'll strike you down and cut off your head. 
Today I will give the carcass of the Philistine army to the birds of the air and the beasts of the earth. Kind of cheery language. And the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. All those gathered here will know that it is not by sword or spear that the Lord saves. For the battle is the Lord's. And he will give all of you into our hands. As the Philistine moved closer to attack, David ran quickly towards the battle line to meet him. Reaching into his bag and taking out a stone, he slung it and struck the Philistine on the forehead. The stone sank into the sank deep. The stone sank into his forehead and he fell face down on the ground. So David triumphed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone. Without a sword in his hand, he struck down the Philistine and killed him. You know, he just allowed God to use him. He said, God's going to do this, not me. God's going to make this stone fly in the direction it needs to fly and hit you where it needs to hit you. God's going to make it happen because you are defying the Almighty God. You're ridiculing him and he doesn't stand for that. And David was just an instrument in God's hands to accomplish God's purposes. That's what can happen when you learn to be yourself. That's what makes the difference. Saul and David were radically different people. But the main difference between the two of them was that David allowed God to use him. David knew had a relationship that was intimate with the Almighty, which gave him confidence. He knew what had gone on before. It had been built up over years and years and years. That gave him freedom. He knew who he was, which gave him that inner peace. He knew the gifts and abilities that God had given him, that God can use for his glory. And he allowed God to use them. And so won that amazing victory. So often we try and be someone else. So often we think, if only, then God will love me. If only I could do this. If only I could be like this. You know, God doesn't and will never love you any more than he loves you right now. You know that? Do you really know that in your heart? If you're at college and you get an A grade or a D grade, God doesn't love you any less. At work, if you're the most successful person in the history of successful people, or you're not, God doesn't love you any more or any less. Because he loves you with the ultimate love right now. If I preach the best sermon in the history of sermons that has ever been preached in the whole of humanity, God won't love me anymore. If I grow my hair back and look fantastic and have an afro, God won't love me anymore. You know? If I have a body that looks like Schwarzenegger, God won't love me anymore. You know? God loves you. God loves me right now. Completely. He's loved me completely when I failed at school, when I got kicked out of art class, when I failed in different things, when I succeeded in different things. He loved me just the same. And he loves me right now with that same passion and that same love. And he'll love me whatever happens in the future. 
If this church goes down to three people, there's me, Ronnie and one other on a Sunday. Or if this church has 20,000 people, he'll love me just the same. Because it's not down to all these things. It's down to God. And God loves you and God loves me with the passion and a, that cannot be any greater than it is right now. And because of that, we can be ourselves. I don't have to be someone else because he loves me just the way I am. doesn't matter whether I wear a dog collar or a shirt, jeans or fancy trousers. He loves me. And he loves you the same way. Just as you are. Because he created you, he knit you together, he has plans for you and he loves you with that passionate love that will never change. And when you understand that, when that becomes who you are, it gives you such a freedom. Because I don't mind what you think about me, because it won't affect what God thinks about me. I don't mind how great I preach or how badly I preach, because, well I do, but you know what I mean. Because God will love me the same way. If I'm the greatest pastor in the history of pastors or the worst pastor, God's going to love me anyway. I want to be excellent because I love him and I want to give him the best. But he still loves me and he still loves you. Be yourself. That is so hard for us sometimes. Particularly in churches. Because we come in and we put masks on that are Christian. I can't really do that if I'm hurting. I don't really want to show it. Because I have to be nice and I have to be... And I have to pretend that everything's going... How are you doing? I'm doing really well, thank you. How are you doing? Inside you're in turmoil. Inside you've had the worst week in the history of weeks. We need to be ourselves. This needs to be the safest place in the history of safe places. This needs to be a family where we can come and be ourselves. Where we can stand up and say, you know what, I'm really struggling. And we don't all minister to one another and let me, you know. We just get alongside each other and say, I love you. Let's journey together. Let's, let's just, I'm going to pray for you. Let, let's just lift this to God, but let's just struggle together. Let's just be, be ourselves. Because the people that God used in the pages of scripture were just that. He used all kinds of people. He used prostitutes. He used kings. He used shepherd boys who carried cheese. He used radical people that went out and killed a load of Christians and then he met them and he became radical in setting up churches. He used fishermen and tax collectors and prophetesses and he used everybody. But he used people above all that were just themselves. And he took that and he nurtured it and he flourished it. And he used those gifts and abilities that he'd given to them to do amazing things for the kingdom of God. And that's what he wants to do through you and through me. Be yourself. Because then you will see the joy and the beauty 
of God working in and through you, just as he did through David. Let's pray. Lord, we are fearfully and wonderfully made because we have the touch of the Master, the touch of you in our lives. And Lord, you love us with a passion that we don't even recognize. You can't love us any more than you love us right now. You'll never love us any less. Your love is ultimate. Your love is complete. You love us so much that you want us to grow and to be more than we are right now. But you're not going to love us any more if we do that. Or any less if we don't. Because God is love. Lord, help us to rest in that love so that we can be ourselves. Because it's like being planted in the good soil when we're planted in your love. That we can grow and yield a hundred times and realize everything that you want to do in us and through us. Thank you for who you are. Thank you for your example in David that you took this boy but a boy who knew you who loved you who you loved and you used his gifts and abilities to bring about change and victory. Use us in that same way for we ask this in the name of Christ. Amen.